Smart Council is a joint production of Multnomah University, Alternative Behavioral Therapy, and New Pattern Counseling. Joshua Moore is a counselor at Alternative Behavioral Therapy in Vancouver, Washington, who specializes in neurofeedback and trauma. Reese Pasimio is a counselor at New Pattern Counseling in Gresham, Oregon, who specializes in addictions, sexuality, gender, and spirituality. Thanks for listening and for joining the conversation. Welcome to Smart Counsel, Counselors and Mothers. Smart Counsel provides perspectives and resources for providers and students on spirituality, mental health, addictions, relationships, and trauma. I'm Mariah Lefebvre. I'm Diane Moore. I'm Hilary Reno. And I'm Debbie Quick. And today we're going to talk to you about being counselors and mothers. Uh, So to start us off, uh, let's all just say a little bit about where we are currently in our counseling journeys. Well, I'm an older woman. If you saw me, I'm gray. I'm 60. I'm the oldest one here. And I started when my daughter was five, but it wasn't very productive. It kind of sculpted why I'm a counselor, because I went to a counselor who didn't know why I was coming to counseling. And of course, I didn't know why. And so, um, but I did end up getting some work done during that time, um, but had to go back, obviously, whenever I um, became a counselor, I went back and did some more work around my story and have continued to, and I'm still looking for someone else to continue to experience what it's like to be on the other side of the room. I want to keep that experience fresh for myself, never ending. I guess I'll I'll speak to mine. Um, I... I feel like this um, this has been the sort of the second season for me. Um, I too had sort of a, a different path initially. Uh, parenting was was primary um, on that path, and um, was able to go back to school and discover um, the field of social work and the values uh, in that field um, really aligned for me with a lot of things and social work led to counseling practice. And it wasn't actually where I saw myself going at all when I went to social work school. Um, But wouldn't you know, um, there were, there were many things that called me there, things that made sense from my own family, things that were familiar. Um, And I think I'm still sort of figuring out what my, um, what my path is as a counselor right now it's, it's evolved into um, more guiding other counselors. So my, my practice is largely um, a supervisorial practice. So I supervise other therapists who are growing um, and developing. So yeah, that's where I'm at. Um, I'm currently not working as a therapist or counselor, but I did spend seven years as a clinical supervisor um, working with clients and also working as a supervisory tract as well, um, trying to help people work on their licensure. I'm also a social worker. Um, and currently I'm working on helping people um, meet their medical and behavioral health needs in the community. Um, so I do do a lot of guiding, not as much therapy. Um, I've held on to one person who I speak to <laughs> on a daily basis and and do some counseling stuff, but otherwise... Um, more like a care coordinator, but um, I still see, identify myself as being a counselor, therapist, social worker. I came to counseling via dance and then psychology and dance therapy. And so I've been doing dance therapy for 15 years now. And uh, that morphed for me, I was working a lot with some pretty high needs clients when my almost nine-year-old was born. And I think there's been a lot of shifting in the work that I do 
you know, since, since my two kids came into the world and now I am teaching and supervising and, uh, really working in a supervisory counseling role and continuing also to do some dance therapy and some dancing and supervising with my people in that community. And I would like to amend my answer and it can be edited too. I thought it was, where (laughs) are we at, you know, in our own personal work but my personal work did kind of propel me to go be a counselor because my therapist did miss it, did miss an entire opportunity. It sculpted how I work with people so that I I don't miss those things when people come in and they don't know why they're there. But I I became interested in being a counselor through the parenting because I had three kids and I had a story of my own that made me feel kind of bankrupt when it came to my kind of parenting pantry. So I started doing parenting workshops. I actually wrote a parenting book. I was all parenting. And then um, eventually that drew me to the field of private practice. And I went and got retooled and, and I have a private practice in Vancouver, Washington. So I think that ties nicely to this next question of where are you at on your mothering journey? And maybe those, you know, intersected along the way. Hmm. Do we have to go in order? I don't know. <laughs> I think I anybody. Start. I can start. Um, I have a 13-year-old daughter um, who's just about to start high school next year. And my journey started as a mother, as a single mother by choice, um, daughter insemination, and raising my daughter exclusively by myself with no partner. And we were just tight as two bugs in a rug until she was about seven when I became partnered um, to a longtime friend and got married um, a year later. Um, so we're currently a two parent family, um, raising a 13 year old who probably if you change, you know, the, the teenager in any parenting book to her name, it would fit in. I mean, she just meets every criteria of young teenager, angst, um, confusion between childhood and adulthood. Um, and my place, it's interesting because my place as a as a therapist and a mother is constantly trying not to diagnose her, not trying to necessarily normalize everything, but not trying to pathologize everything as well. So right now it's it's a it's a real adventure. And I think it's kind of has to take my primary brain space. Um it has to be my it has to come up before work. It has to come before my marriage. It has to come, you know, definitely first because this kid is totally depending on me to not be a screw up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's pretty much where I am right now. Just every day kind of questioning, what the heck am I doing? What's she doing? What are we doing? Are we doing okay? So there's, there's a lot of that going on right now. Well, my kids are in their thirties and I, um, I be, I graduated, um, in, uh, I was, my kids were already all out of the house, I think, by the time I started my private practice. So you just gave me a really good reason to be for, I've always regretted that I did it late because it's like, I missed so much stuff. But now you're like, well, if I would have had all that knowledge, I probably would have had to rein back on, on uh, pathologizing and diagnosing and all that. So I didn't ever think about that. But um, yeah, I came late and with my education now and see where I did, I did them. Um, I didn't do them um, what I wish I would have. Uh, three, three grandchildren and three kids in their 30s and all married. I know too much because all the time I'm like, oh, I shouldn't have said that. Oh, I, you know, there, there's a lot of shooting going on in my head. I think men and nine and they're awesome. And I feel like 
I tell people, I feel like we're in this real golden state when they were tiny. Um, and yet like they still love to be with me and with my husband. I just think I'm so thankful for the tools that I have as a counselor and the knowledge that I've brought was be thinking about what's the latest theory and how could I use that well with my kids? Right. <laughs> if your practice, you won't be able to go, you won't be able to, you know, do certain kinds of work. And I think I wouldn't, I don't know that I could sustain working with kiddos and I've always um, had a lot of respect for those who do and can and to do that parallel to, you know, parenting. I can't even imagine, you know, the skill set, um, the endurance that that takes. Um, my mothering journey, uh, much like my career has kind of happened in, in parts, in two parts. I have a 21 year old and an 11 year old. And um, I am feeling the angst of tween years. Um, I was just telling Debbie and, you know, watching my daughter still hold on to, you know, being a kid and grappling with um, the changes in her body that are thrusting her forward. Um, it's kind of interesting to 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 have the experience of parenting her um, and then the, the parallel of you know, my 21 year old, um, I was really young and, um, I would do a lot of things differently. There are many things about being a counselor, um, that have affected me, um, and changed me and, uh, brought about a lot of growth that has then kind of, um, been mapped onto my parenting. So, um, I would say that my journey, uh, is still going. It's been interesting to have the, the, the big, split um, in years. Um, and it kind of marks the the chapters of my own growth too. Interesting thing with all the different trends and things that have gone on 10 years ago and now, I mean, with raising an 11 year old 10 years ago and an 11 year old now, there must be a world of difference. Yeah. Mm. Well, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And my, and my partnering was very, you know, I was single mom mm -hmm. first time around and going to school and mm -hmm. now being partnered. I mean, I think that too has really changed mm -hmm. Um, my, well, my ability to parent and, um, you know, the tools that I bring to it yeah. and the support in doing it. I was just, uh, your comment made me think of, I just saw the other day an Onion article, which, you know, gotta love the Onion, but it said something like, uh, study shows that every, every style of parenting results in unhappy, messed up kids, <laughs> <laughs> you know, or something like that. And yeah. I had to laugh because I think, you know, sometimes I have to remember, like, even, even as counselors or we're still humans and, you mm -hmm. know, we're still people mm -hmm. first and just that right. uh, I always joke and say to people, I just hope my kids don't end up in therapy for the same reasons I was in therapy. Mm -hmm. Like I, I, you know, that's I, success. I, right, that's, exactly. That is success. Exactly. I'm yeah. sure they, they will be. And I hope they get therapy right. someday. It'll be great, you know, but yeah. um, hopefully it's for different, uh, different issues. I remember when my daughter was about eight years old, um, putting her to bed at night, which was a 45 minute routine. And sometimes we get to talking and, and one time I told her, you know, you're going to, in a few years, you're going to be a teenager. And, you know, this is, this is counselor Debbie coming out mm. and, you know, I'm going to say all the right things to her. So I said, you're going <laughs> to get to a point where you're, you know, a lot of times we'll think everything I say is stupid. And you're going to think that, I don't know what I'm talking about. And you're gonna roll your eyes at me and stuff like that. And I, and I said, it's okay because that's who you're going to be. And I understand and I'm going to love you and it's going to be okay because it's, it's important for you to go through this. And she said, well, well, what if I don't want to be that way? And I said, well, but you're going to, and mm -hmm. it's okay. And no matter what, I'll love you. And now she's there 
And I just want to like rub this in her face and say, mm. you told me you didn't want to be this way, mm. you know, and still every time I get angry at her, I, I have to remind myself that I gave her permission, you know, as a therapist, <laughs> remembering I gave her permission to be who she was and for me to get angry at her for being that. So, you know, we have all the best intentions and we know all the right things to say, but when it comes down to those hormones in your face, you know, it's, it's just, it all flies out into, into the air and everything goes, anything goes. We don't always access our wise selves no. in yeah. those moments. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, why are you being so horrible? Yeah. <laughs> At least she doesn't say you told me I could. So she doesn't remember mm-hmm. that. Sometimes I think it's worse to know the wise self exists and not be able to access it. <laughs> you know, just to like live in oblivion. Sometimes I'm like, I wish I didn't know. But, you know, too late for that. So mm-hmm. It's really easy as a grandma. I'm telling you. <laughs> it's so easy. It's so easy. I'm like, I, I could have been a great parent if I started out that way. But I watch my kids. I have a son who's a therapist and a daughter-in-law and a daughter. They're all therapists. And I watch them, how much they enjoy their children. And it's just so, or right now it's just a child. I don't get to watch the one that's far away, but um, it's just so beautiful. I just... It's just amazing to enjoy them knowing what stage they're at and making space for the things that they know are going to happen and just being at peace with that. It's just really beautiful. Yeah. My daughter has taught me a lot. Actually, um, she's one of the most open-minded people I've ever met. Um, she has friends of all types. She, you know, has certain ways she thinks about animals and, and different things. And she catches me being judgmental which is really, really cool. So that has given me a lot of insight um, when I'm with other people and and picking up on it. And, and she's brutally honest with me. You know, like if I eat a marshmallow, I'm a vegetarian. She's like, mom, you're not a vegetarian. You ate a marshmallow. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I have to tell her to mind your own business and I, I only have to answer to myself. But, you know, just catching myself um, being hypocritical, um, you know, being judgmental, um, prejudice, um, bias, that kind of stuff she picks up on, um, which really, really helps me to pick that up. And when I'm doing it at work, when I'm talking to people on the phone, what are my internalized bias, bi- biases, <laughs> biases. Um, so in some ways I, I think of her as almost being an emotional genius, even though her emotional, um, maturity is probably the same level as a, one of the ants on my counter. You know, mm-hmm. she's, she, it's like this, this wisdom that it can only come from children that you can really learn from. And I tell her that too. I'm like, I learn from you all the time. So it's kind of like with our clients too, how we, we learn from them. And some of the things we learn from them informs us about what we do at home. I think being a counselor for me has invited, um, my kids to have conversations with me. I don't think they would have had my grown children. Um, that especially the ones who are in the field, uh, because they are all working out their own stuff. And we've had really beautiful conversations, AKA painful, um, <laughs> that are really helpful. It's worth it because I think it has, uh, because those conversations are in, invited. And I think even more so because I am a counselor, they know I can understand what it's really about, or they can explain it to me at least in a way that I will understand that we've gotten closer than we ever would have been because of that. So I appreciate the pain. Hmm. I mean, I think I, 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 there's so much, uh, Debbie, you know, what you said that I, um, I also 
feel like really being a mom has um, reminded me like the, the impact that I have, just my presence in a relationship, um, the way I show up, the things I say, how it influences. I um, have, I don't know if I ever really understood the de- the degree to which m- my role as a therapist impacted people's lives. And that relationship is significant. And I think it's my relationship with my kids, my daughter being home now and, you know, the one that I'm primarily engaging with, it's really brought that, that reminder um, to the forefront. I think too, something that I've learned from being a parent um, that's definitely influenced my counseling relationships um, is that, you know, being firm and being gentle are not mutually exclusive qualities and that actually both and finessing both of those things um, can be vital uh, to a really beautiful counseling relationship. And particularly, you know, with folks where um, there is a lot of trauma and attachment trauma. And so the most, you know, therapeutic part of the therapy is the relationship. So yeah, definitely um, learning to finesse both of those things. Yeah. And listening to you, I, I hear a lot of things that I resonate with. And I think that uh, for me, the work that or what being a mom has taught me about counseling is the work that I was already trying to learn about being a counselor. Uh, and I think part of that is just the power of just truly being with people and the, the presence of being totally present. And uh, I have a mind that likes to go lots of places, you know? And so I, I, when my kids just need me to be with them and to be 100% present, I think that I'm reminded of the power of that um, and just of that real connection. And I think sort of my work that really came very clear in my counseling training that is important for me is this value of process over product. Mm. And so I think, you know, I, that was um, coming from a performance world background. That was a really crucial part of learning for me and becoming a counselor that I feel like I'm reminded of all the time as a mom, just that this is really about the process and these everyday day-to-day moments. And at this point with my girls being young, I don't even know the product or, you know, I I know what today is and that's it. So uh, being really present in this process. And I think that also means having grace for myself and having grace for them and messing up and, yeah, and not always feeling like I know what to do. You just actually said something that that um, I, I really important as a mother that I think I've learned in um, being counselor too is the apology, the mother apology yes. that I you know mm-hmm. I don't remember hearing as a child, mm-hmm. and you know just the power when you know you say to your kid, you know what, you're right, I'm wrong, uh-huh. and if I, you know and. Also in the counseling situation, like, wow, yeah, you did tell me that and I did forget to do that or, you know, that's totally on me mm-hmm. and the power that has both in both situations. So just being genuine, being truthful and being fallible. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I I found that that I have to, uh, you know, I think about uh, the value of repair after rupture, that we don't live in a ruptureless mm-hmm. world, you know, and mm-hmm. so when we can go and I think that I experience that the most with my kids when I'm able to say, oh yeah, I did get really frustrated with you there. Let's come back together. I can apologize and we can, we can repair. Uh, and it's really experiencing that with my kids that helps me to do that in a, just, it feels like a more genuine, authentic way with my clients. Yeah. Raising kids, they demand 
Well, there are little hypocrisy detectors. Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, you, you know, for me, I was trying to raise them the right way because I didn't have a good pantry to work from, parenting pantry. Mm-hmm. And then when they got to be teenagers, they were like, mm, okay, mom, here's how it is, you know. And I just couldn't wear anything plastic, you know, it had to be real. And that really prepared me for the counseling um, profession because you can't go in high-minded and heavy-handed, and this is what you need to do. It's really just one broken human to another broken human that where the healing really happens, and my teenagers prepped me for that very well. They're so honest. I love that. <laughs> Except when they're not being honest. True. That's very true. That's <laughs> a problem, too. But they sure catch you when, when you're not. But I think in, um, that, you know, that's another thing that I've learned from being a mom is that my daughter cannot, I mean, she can lie to me and I don't know what she's lying about or, you know, why she's doing it, but I can always tell that she's lying. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a really good skill to have as a counselor. We're not going to call somebody out necessarily and say you're lying, but we can also, when they say something, leave them space mm-hmm. to correct themselves or to change paths of what they're talking about or, um, you know, and and I think that, that that's a skill that that I, I can't, I'm not going to say that people who aren't mothers don't have it. I'm going to stop there. <laughs> they just don't have as much practice. We get a lot yeah. of practice. We do. Uh, so conversely, what has being a counselor taught you about being a mom? And I assume maybe there's some crossover in some of this stuff too. I had a, oh, go on. Were you going to say something? Oh, um, I did an internship. I'm a, I'm a geriatric mother. And I know that that's a funny thing. Having a child after 35 makes you a geriatric mother. But when I did my internship in graduate school, I I was working in a, um, uh, it was a diagnostic and kind of treatment-y um, place in Texas and in, in Houston at Children's Hospital um, where we did this, this, these groups with kids and their parents. And we did a lot of modeling of behavior and we did uh, Stanley Greenspan floor time. I don't know mm-hmm. if you're all familiar with that, but basically it's child-led it's a child-led play thing. Um, and it really gives a lot of control to the child. And I just remember always thinking, this is exactly how I'm going to parent. I'm going to just let my kid lead the way and let them feel the control. Um, and that definitely influenced, um, you know, the way that I dealt with my kid right from the beginning, giving her, like sitting her down the floor, putting toys all around, letting her choose, um, letting her be in control of the play, um, which is good up until a point. And then when she starts feeling like she has control and has a choice in every situation, um, which can be tough later. But I just remember just thinking this is so idyllic and it's just worked so well. So it definitely was something I went into parenting thinking this is just a really good way to connect with your child. So that's a, that's a really concrete mm-hmm. example of how counseling has affected my parenting. Yeah, I think my thought is also very related. So I'll jump in. But I was working um, primarily with autism and then with uh, kids who had been growing up in relational trauma before my kids were born. And I think that that same thing that you're saying, like just that realization of uh, giving them choice and a strengths-based positive approach, like the things that I was working so hard to implement as a therapist and as a counselor, I, I was like, oh, this is, I want to do this as a mom and I want to do this as a mom. And I think, you know, there's, there's some success. <laughs> it's, it's easier to do it when, when I'm in my mindset of I'm doing this as a counselor or as a therapist. Uh, but that very much like 
child-led or person-led and giving them agency and giving them some power and, and feeling that I really value that. And I'm really thankful that I, I had that experience of watching it uh, before I came into trying my hardest, sometimes succeeding, uh, to do that with my own kids. I think for me, the biggest thing is the power of attunement. Because that's what you do in therapy. You don't really, you don't try to fix things. You just, attunement is huge. You, they, they're not alone with their big feelings. And as a mom, I wasn't good at that. But as a grandma, I'm great at it. <laughs> just had my two-year-old at my house and she has her little trike inside because at grandma's you can do anything you want. And so she's, she's riding around and she gets very frustrated because the wheel gets stuck. She gets off of it and she's so upset she can't talk. And then I go over to help her and she just puts her hands down to her sides and just rigid whole body. And she just screams, just pure frustration. And I, in as a mother, that was a problem to be solved. And as a grandmother is something to make space for mm -hmm. and everything slows way down. So I made space for that. And I enjoyed this little girl who has a voice. And I said, what what do you think the pro? You're, I, first, you're frustrated, mm -hmm. so she could feel that I'm right there. I see that you are frustrated. So what are you frustrated about? And she's like, she points. She still can't talk. That the wheel won't go. And so I said, I wonder what that's about. This thing looks like it's in the way. What do you think? And the calm just came. She solved her problem. And she just needed somebody to be there. And it was so delightful. <laughs> I missed all that. I missed all that. But being a counselor has made me see how enjoyable attunement can be. And it can solve the problem all by itself without anything else. I think, um, you know, I've, I've said this before. There's There are books about vicarious trauma, about um, compassion fatigue. And that's that's real. It's real. Um but also what has been real for me is vicarious healing. And I think I didn't realize it until just recent years how much um, my uh, counseling work has has created heavier loads for me to carry. Um, but it also has created many opportunities for healing, which I think in turn has uh, shaped how I'm able to relate to my kids, um, patients being primary among them. Um, you know, I really appreciate Diane, what you said about attunement. I feel like that is a, a skill that I've been able to flex more, mm -hmm. um, particularly, um, you know, in those moments when I'm not always understanding what the source, uh, of the, the, um, you know, rupture is for my kids. Um, but yeah, I think I, I just have, even though there were times that were really difficult, um, early on in my practice and, and working places that was really stressful. Um, I think overall I'm, I appreciate like the opportunity to have been witness, you know, to the, the healing paths of so many folks, so much so that it created healing for myself that then in turn, you know, my kids benefit from. So it's really unexpected, I think. Yeah. I just sat here. I, I don't know how you do it. I'm a grandma. I didn't start having private practice till my kids were gone. And I think like I started at eight this morning and I was done at five. I don't, I know it was full. I don't know how I would have gone home. 
Yeah, I, don't, I think about that too. Sometimes when I was working in counseling, some pretty community mental health, which was not private practice, and um, it's where Hillary and I worked at the same time. And it was, you know, I was single mother, and I'd come home, and I would be just completely wiped out. I mean, we mm-hmm. we ate a lot of mm-hmm. boiled raviolis and frozen pizzas because mm. I didn't have any wherewithal to get home and make dinner, or you know, she'd want to do something. It'd be really really hard for me to motivate. Um, I'm not the kind of person who recharges my batteries by going, you know, going, taking my daughter and going somewhere at night. Um, so it took a lot really to, if she wants to go ride her bike and I had to hold onto her bike as she rode it because she was afraid of falling off. Um, you know, or I didn't really have anybody to vent to. Um, mm-hmm. it's nice because my current spouse is a retired social worker. Mm-hmm. So he understands, you know, a lot of the stuff that I go through and, that area, but no, it was really hard. I mean, I was exhausted. And now that she's older and I can sleep late, I sleep late and on the weekends I just crash. Mm-hmm. It just, I think all those years of just keeping it all inside, it just mm-hmm. takes a lot of years to get it out of you. Yeah. So she sleeps late and I sleep late. It works out great. Good. Yeah. Well, I think for me, I, I appreciate you recognizing that, Diane. Yeah. Thank you. Um, I, I think there was there were many times early in my career where I was still learning to be a therapist and I didn't know what my what my rights were as a human being showing up in that work. And I actually I think now that I think about it, looked at looked to my kids and all the things I taught them about boundaries for themselves, mm-hmm. where I, I think I began to really apply some of those things that they knew and practiced about boundaries. I then took that, you know, for myself to my, my workspaces and, um, and do so now rigorously practice boundaries, which I think then in turn has, you know, a positive impact on how much of me shows up at the end of the day for my kids. So I think it started with them really, and now ends with them. You think it was, it's easier when you're partnered? Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah. just, just attentiveness, yeah. attentiveness for eight hours to mm-hmm. every word, body language, everything. That's, that's mm-hmm. how such, so uh, and then you go home, you just kind of, don't you want to kind of just like be not attentive? Just want to watch TV. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I had to shift. So I was doing therapy and I was working, you know, Hillary, you said, oh, I don't know how you work with kids and have kids. Well, I don't anymore, mm-hmm. you know, because it was really hard. And mm-hmm. when my girls were really little, I was working in um, homes where there was just a lot of trauma and the kids were experiencing trauma and the parents had come from trauma and I, uh, I wasn't able to do it. I got pretty burned out and it was too hard. I'd come home and I'd see them and mm-hmm. I'd just cry. Cause mm-hmm. I thought, man, there's a lot of brokenness in the world and this is really hard. Um, so then I started teaching and now I'm teaching and I'm supervising and it's life giving in a very different way than, uh, doing the work. And I love, it brings me great joy to watch students, you know, unfolding and see them doing great work. And it gives me just a little bit of separation uh, because I think that I realized it was too much and it was too hard for me to not uh, play that, to have that come out onto my kids and for them to, for them and for my spouse to feel like they were not getting everything because I was using so much energy doing that. And I think sometimes there's some grief for me in that because I miss some of that part of the work. And yet I have to also remember that I could go back to that. And right now I have to create that space because uh, it, it is, it's a lot to try to have it all. It intrudes. Yeah. yeah. 
yeah, it's hard. I think that was one of the the things that I like about being a social worker is that flexibility that, and you're in a time in your life where you can sit down and and have eight fifty minutes, um, which usually runs to an hour, um, with people and sit and document everything and and then leave and go home. Um, you can do that when the time is right, and other times you can work on a hospital unit, and other mm-hmm. times you can work in a school if that's your thing. You know, you, you it's a it's a lot more flexible than being a um, you know having like a master's degree in counseling where basically you have to counsel. Um, so it is nice to have that flexibility to do that around your family know, what's right for you at the time. So that's one of the reasons I made that decision. It's totally a different thing. Mm -hmm. We're venturing challenges faced by counselor moms, uh, which was another thing that we could possibly talk about. So if we want to like deep dive into that, anything else to add? One of the biggest challenges for me um, working in counseling was that I, it was a full-time job and it wasn't the kind of job where I could go and volunteer at my daughter's school. Um, There are a lot of moms and a lot of dads at her school. It was a very volunteer heavy school and the parents were all very bonded and did a lot of things and they were having volunteer recognition breakfasts and things like that. But I feel that with being a mother and being a counselor and a supervisor that there was really nothing left in me to do that. Um, and also making the time to do it. Um, when you come in and your schedule is filled with eight hours of people to see or eight supervisions to do, um, that's very, very hard to schedule your life around, um, doing things at the school, being involved in the school, um, you know, being part of the PTA. There was a point where my daughter might've gone to a school that had very little volunteerism and, um, wasn't very strong and had a bad reputation. And people said, well, you're a social worker, you know, you're going to have to go in there and get that stuff started. And I'm like, you know what? I don't have the energy at the end of the day to do that. I'm going to have to depend on other parents to be doing that. So it made a big, really helped me make the decision of where I was going to send my child to school so that I could depend on other families to provide that and make Mm -hmm. the school good and safe for my daughter. One thing I think about is that I, uh, I never didn't want to work outside of the home. I love my work and I love what I do and I feel really passionate about it. And having two daughters, I feel it's really important for them to see that modeled, that I have something that I love and that I'm good at and that I that drives me. And I and I want them to see that. Uh, but there are days when, you know, they say, oh, mom, why do you have to go to work? And why do you mm-hmm. work so much? And, you know, in my head, I'm thinking, I work a very flexible schedule on purpose, you know, so that I like I'm trying to do all these things. And I think that that is a real challenge is wanting to do all the things 100%. I'd like to do my job 100% and I'd like to be with my kids 100%. And um, I'm not willing to sacrifice either of those things. So how do I find that balance? Sometimes that tricky boundaries word comes in. And sometimes it means that I don't sleep, you know, or do other things like that. And I think that that is not necessarily unique to counseling moms, but I think just to parenting in general and being a mom in general, you know, how how do you um, do all these things that you're passionate about? But in my phase right now, that's, that's real. How do I balance these? It's a very big societal problem that you probably do an entire podcast about, about right. how women are expected to do 
100% of everything they do. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. I and agree with you. Yeah. So I think it is, it's a huge, um, I've seen lots of good memes about it lately, you know, <laughs> about, you know, you're, you're supposed to be 100% mom and 100%, you know, you're, you have to show up that much more at work to prove your worth, right? you know, and all that sort of stuff. And so I think that, um, we can make memes about it and things like that. And also it's, it's really true. I think one of the things that as a mom, I did work as a registered counselor, which is a lot lower level. I did a lot of speaking and meeting with people and filtering them to get them to therapists if they could afford it. But I heard a lot of stories and the intrusion of just that level of work. My kids would say, mom, just because you hear a lot of stories doesn't mean there's a bad guy and behind every bush. And I'm like, yeah, there pretty much is. But, (laughs) but I think, uh, it, it is impossible to avoid intrusion, even as a grandmother. I, I, I hate that when it intrudes in a, in a beautiful family moment where my grandchild's sitting on my husband's lap and I remember something mm-hmm. that I had to hold. Mm-hmm. And, and that, that is sad for me, but I also love my job, but it is a very real part of the job. I don't know how you guys do it actively hearing all the, I now hear much higher level stories. My poor kids, it's a good thing that they're 30, so I can't protect them anymore. Yeah, I just, I was just thinking, I mean, um, you know, much of what you all have said, I, I also have felt. And, and again, I think that um, what has been most acutely noticeable is the overflow, the vicarious overflow and just worrying sometimes if maybe every person I saw in the day got the very best of me and there's only a sliver left, um, you know, when I, when I get home. And so, you know, boundaries and balance are still things that I'm um, actively in practice around. I mean, it's, it's emotionally dynamic work. And I think that's part of what makes it both beautiful, unexpected and healing and powerful, but it also um, makes it heavy and cumulative and impactful sometimes in ways that we don't always notice right away. I wonder too, if it, if it's, um, there's a lot of girls that we've been talking about and being mother of girls too. And, you know, the, obviously all of our clients have gone through trauma and had had their experiences, but it's made me a hyper aware girl mother mm-hmm. um, that I'm very, you know, very, very aware of where my daughter is at all times, who the people, I'm not helicopter like, mm-hmm. and hopefully I don't act that way around her, but you know, who she's alone with, um, who else is in the home, other guns in the home. Um, you know, I'm, I'm probably a little bit more hypervigilant with her, because of the experience, like you were saying, having time to hold on to something, mm-hmm. um, having heard those stories and everything like that, it definitely um, pops up in my life. Mm-hmm. When my daughter tells me something, I start second guessing inside my head. Is there something else to that? Is there something I'm missing? Has she not mm-hmm. told me something? Um, so there, I think that's the the major vicarious piece right there that I feel like, dang, you know, I mean, it's good because it helps mm-hmm. me to to look out for the signs. And, you know, I've talked to my husband about, you know, the most safe child is the one whose parents ask questions because even though they're not there to watch their kids, the mm-hmm. the other people know that you're an attentive parent and it's going to make a big difference. But, but, you know, it, it, it does lose some of its innocence in parenting when you you're aware mm-hmm. of a lot of things that happen in the world. Yeah. You're surrounded by it every day. Yeah. So it definitely speaks to our parenting. I think feels like it's way more prevalent. Yeah. 
even though it's not any more than anybody else. Yeah. But it mm-hmm. it's it's like when I worked with people who had cystic fibrosis, I felt like everybody had cystic fibrosis, mm-hmm. you know, and it, it's just what you're surrounded with every day. Mm-hmm. It's a very fine line between knowledge and fear. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. w- wanting to know that I'm equipping them so that they're they know that you know, mm-hmm. they learn their body boundaries and mm-hmm. what they, and all these sorts of things. And then thinking, oh gosh, I don't want to unnecessarily, you know, instill this fear in them. That's, mm-hmm. that's mine that I'm bringing in from what I know from this work. Um, but I, I, I do think about that a lot. Yeah. Imagine the first time your kid tells you they want to go on the bus by themselves, you know, and that's, it's, it's scary. But um, but it's still a beautiful thing and it's still watching them grow and it's still sitting on your hands and saying, this is the best thing to help my child grow. And, you know, that's what that's what I aim for with my clients is being able to give them the ability to make choices and make healthy choices. And I'm going to do that for my child as well. Looks like we might be running out of time. Yeah, we're getting there. Yeah. I was just going to say real quick, some of what you were talking about uh, makes me just think of this idea of resilience, which I think is one of my favorite things in general, you know, but I think we can think about it with our clients and we can think about it. I try to think about it with my kids. Like, yes, I will mess up. Yes, they will encounter hardships just like my clients do, just like they have. And um, there's just this great idea that we are resilient and that we do also find goodness and healing and repair, you know, in the midst of that. And I think Mm -hmm. that when I beat myself up as a parent for not doing things just the way I should, or when I do that as a counselor, I I have to remember too, that like we as a group of people and, you know, a body of humans, we are able to also be resilient and move towards growth. And that is like a existential idea that helps me sometimes. (laughs) And we model that. We model that in our own, as we fumble. I mean, I one time met with somebody who had a perfect parent and I finally said to him, I'm really sorry. You're too broken. I can't help you. Um, <laughs> because they didn't know how to fail. Yeah. They didn't know how to grapple with life and rumble with things. And um, my kids have had to watch me as I've grown and my, my practice has grown to, to hold. How do I do this well? And how do I keep me? And so um, they've watched me develop different. Like I have a pottery studio and I have to do it. It's not just for fun. I have to. And I have to go away every three months rigidly. I can't save up my vacation. I have to go away. And I have to restore. And I cry um, for because things are beautiful, not because I'm sad. I have to go someplace so painfully beautiful that I cry so that I can get a balance in the world. Mm. And my kids have watched me struggle to figure out how to do it. And, and that's the best thing we can do. They say, we are human. We have jobs that make us um, have to figure out how to do things. They present us problems and we're problem solvers. And that's the best thing to do. Raise decision makers and problem solvers. Mm. One of my favorite things to say to my clients, especially when you have somebody who's telling you they're going to do something that's not the best choice, is yes, that's one of your choices. Let's talk about some of your other ones. Mm-hmm. What are some of your other choices? And I, you know, sometimes when this is the first time that person's ever heard that and their response is that... that that might be a better choice. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, I think I would have just had different mistakes, you know, mm-hmm. or struggles. Mm-hmm. And I thought I would for being raw, open and honest. And, you know, it's been really insightful. We love your feedback. So let's keep the conversation going. Follow Smart Counsel on Facebook at 
at Smart Council Podcast, on Twitter at, at SmartCouncil601. And you can email your questions to smartcouncilpodcast at gmail.com. Our theme music is by Nate Botsford. Our logo design is by Thomas Moore. This podcast was edited and produced by breakfastpuppies.com. <laughs>